All right, what's going on? Thanks for coming and checking out another episode of Happy Hour. Today's a really fun one. We got Zach finally in person. Here we are. We've been trying to do that one for two or three years at least. We've done a lot of Zooms together. Um, so it's cool to finally have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Who's me, Sean? Who's yeah. yeah. Why don't you tell us about it? I found this guy um, on the street picking guitar on the side <laughs> of the road the other day, and I was like, hey, you'd be a great, you'd be some great talent for. <laughs> from whatever we can get. Yeah. No, I'm out of New Braunfels. I work in commercial real estate. Um, kind of what I orient my life around is God, family, hunting, fishing, real estate. Singing. Singing, music. Yeah, music. let's throw that in there. Gardening, you know, I've got a big a big garden. So anything outdoors, <laughs> that's what I'm, I'm into, you know. Kids? Yeah, I've got two kids. They're a handful. Yeah. I, I keep forgetting where I've been this last year, and I've been raising babies, yeah. you know? <laughs> like one and three? What, what? I have an eight-month-old and a four-year-old. Okay. Yep. All the way all the way loud. Yeah. So I'm new to being a godfather as well, so that's been <laughs> crazy. Um, still still trying to get Abby to let me Little get to the no full title. But responsibility. <laughs> self <laughs> Self-proclaimed Godfather. Um, yeah, no, we're also so when I got started in real estate, he's kind of the one that got me really into it. Um, when I was doing leasing out in San Marcos, and I saw him making a lot more commission per deal, and I was like, "Well, I just thought it this made sense easy. to me." <laughs> whenever we were talking about that originally, it made sense to do that while you're in college and just yeah. throw all of that education in with the rest of your courses that you're taking and everything like that, and then turn it into something that you can make a business out of that you're not depending on a boss or a nine to five job yeah. to uh, get you. And I was licensed, I think my last year, like full year in school. And I learned more doing that than I did. And don't get me wrong. Like I didn't absorb everything they taught me in school. But yeah, there's something to be said for real world application yeah. rather than just reading it in a book. Uh, yeah. I mean, you can absorb some of it. You can get the information, but there's nothing like real world application. Yeah. I, I would say the only home. other class I had that kind of taught me a lot was um, that like stuck with me was mass communications because they just force you to go talk in front of a class of like mm -hmm. two or 300 people. And it, the first few times, like, especially when you're younger too, you're just like for 45 minutes yeah. at a time. I had some like hour long speeches. Zach, would, Zach, would Zach had the same, we had the same major. Right? Yeah. And he, he was telling me, he's like, yeah, you just got to go up there and just slam your hand on the desk and everyone goes crazy. Dude, I did too. No, that's, that's all real stuff. Theatrics and yeah. just, you know, that probably bleeds into everything else that, uh, that I'm interested in. But yeah, so tell, um, I guess for a lot of people that don't know your full background, so how, like you definitely started more so with music and then got into real estate. So if you want to tell people your background and how you got into doing music and some of the stuff you've done, I know you've opened for people like Whiskey Myers, Kyle Park, and you've done some other cool stuff on your own. Um, but just. Well, so I've played music pretty much my whole life. I mean, I was probably nine or 10 years old the first time that I did an actual live show. My dad had bands in Houston area. We knew a lot of people coming up through through that scene, which that scene's much different today than it was then. But I was always, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of how to say this, at a bar underage, you know, <laughs> yeah. like at festivals and behind the stage and, and going and doing that stuff from pretty early on. Uh, and then I played a, a lot of different sports and stuff throughout high school. And uh, it was on the table to go play football in college. And we were, you know, going around looking at a lot of different um, colleges for 
for to pursue football in and I remember going to Texas State and San Marcos and we just like we were going down by the river and seeing everybody hanging out down there and I was like man football or not this is where I'm going to school you know and I knew that they had a big music scene with you know everything from Cheatham Street to Green Hall a little further down the road your dad, and, uh, real quick, your dad's story is funnier on that. His dad, he said, because um, you had like you had full ride offers to play football, right? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know about full ride offers, but it was for sure worth but you. Yeah, you had a lot of yeah. colleges reaching out, and he said that when they went down, uh, they drove you and your dad drove down by the river, and like all the there's like all the girls and stuff out there. His dad's like, "F playing football, I'm going to Texas what, State." What you call yeah. it? Bikini Hill. Yeah, Bikini Hill. Yeah, there yeah. you go. So I saw uh, Ying Yang twins over there one time, too. That place was nuts. Shout out to Frisbee Dan. Um, Sun God, what was his name? Sun God, yeah. yeah. Sun God would probably get mad if we didn't mention him. Yeah. <laughs> shout out There's to all these people at Texas State that they'll go, like, this guy would literally go, Connor tells the funniest story about this because my buddy would spearfish out there. And there's this guy that would, he said, he, Connor said he was spearfishing one day. And it's like real quiet, like kind of peaceful morning. And this guy would call himself the sun god. And he would basically go and just like kind of meditate out in the field, like do kind of weird. When he would do like exercises, you know, just with his body weight and stuff. God, he'd he'd exercise all day. He's, he's spearfishing and he, he, see, he like comes up out of the water <laughs> and the sun god's just on this rock. And he's just like, he's like top of his lungs, just like ah! <laughs> yelling. <laughs> It was a real, it was a culture. But it was funny because sure. like, you know, at the time that was before you have like TikTok and all these other like social media platforms where people are going viral from these like personalities. So it was funny seeing them kind of transition to like, they started wearing like leather jackets and sunglasses <laughs> and chimneys and they're like, you know, trying to, but anyways, you can keep going. Well, like, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> so that was kind of the, the timeline of, of going, you know, from that high school time into college and I decided this is where I was going to go. I knew that, uh, and I was already playing a lot of music and paying my bills essentially at, you know, 17, 18 years old, just by playing music most nights of the week. And I knew uh, that, you know, Cheatham street was a big deal down there. I knew that there was a lot of bars and, and venues that people played on the square. I knew about the stuff in new Braunfels with again, green hall, river road, ice house, Billy's ice house, a lot of those kind of venues, and there's a lot more than that today. Um, but I, I knew that that would be a good place to land, and it was that kind of idea that if you could if you could make it music here, where you know everybody will play for free, then you can make it most places. So mm-hmm. I did that uh, for quite a while. I was in and out of college because this was all at the same time of like trying to go to class. Yeah, and there there got to a point after I was uh, kicked out of school for my third time, you know, <laughs> that my parents were like, "Man, you either need to." go get a job or you need to be in class or you need to be in a bar playing. And uh, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense to be at, uh, at a bar till four, five o'clock in the morning and then try to go to class at eight. I did a lot of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And at some point I just kind of backed out of, of the music scene some and got through school. I finished real strong for what it's worth. And, uh, got out of school and pretty immediately I had been working with little guys movers for a good five years or so. And shout I was, out little guys, shout out to little guys. And, um, and I had managed, I was managing that place. We got to the point where I was working like a lot, you know, yeah. and I want to oversell it, but no, I felt like 70, 80 hours a week. Oh, I mean, it was, it was, get there at six in the morning and leave some days at nine or 10 at night. Yeah. And well, the, the worst part the about that, cause he got me the a job at little guys in Denton worst part about it I didn't manage anything but like as the mover the thing that sucked was 
like you don't know your schedule until like 6 p.m. the day before. Yeah, you like what get, you're like, doing. Maybe one day off a week. And I remember one year Christmas, it was uh, like the 22nd, it was like the day or whatever before Christmas. And they were like, all right, Weston, enjoy Christmas. On the 26th, you're going to Kansas. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. and I was in college, you know, I was like, for what? And then we, we go to Kansas and we get stuck up there for like a week because it was like the biggest snowstorm they had in like a long time. So anyways, yeah. So anyway, that I was doing all of that and then I got out of, uh, so I graduated college and I decided pretty quickly, I wanted to start doing real estate classes whenever I like first got to school and I just uh, didn't. And yeah. then, so after I got out of school, um, I took, you know, however many months, five or six months to study up and take that uh, first real estate test and try to figure out what I was going to do. I went and interviewed a lot of different brokerages and ended up working with Craig that uh, allowed me to do a lot more. You know, he, he there wasn't a lot there as far as any formal training or like direction of where to go, but uh the idea was like, just don't get into trouble. Yeah. You know? Like and we, and I'll help you work on some stuff. And he, he did help me learn some stuff like, you know, different land stuff and uh, preliminary commercial stuff that I probably wouldn't have gotten into otherwise, you know, if I would have yeah. been with a brokerage that probably rightfully so should have held me to, you know, yeah. smaller deals or with less moving parts. Yeah. So it gave me a quick crash course on getting into That's what I want to get into. So I'll open this up and then y'all kind of chime in and start asking questions about, you know, the real estate stuff with them. But so when you, I remember when we, or you uh, like what, I guess it was like when I first came into it. So you kind of had the ball rolling a little bit. You already were doing the, um, like you said, you were doing residential more at the time. So cold calls for sale by owners. I remember like prospecting was a big part yeah, of it. Yeah. So I'm curious, um, especially with what you're doing in commercial real estate in a place like New Bromwell's where it is a big kind of word of mouth area, you yep. know, you have to build that, you have to establish yourself. Um, how much of that prospecting, like the business you generated from that, if you generated business from that, are you still working with now? And then maybe how did you transition in from that to starting to just kind of meet people that are doing bigger business around the town? Um, so as far as people that I'm still working with off of those very early prospects, mm -hmm. it, it, off the top of my head, I don't know that I'm really working with many of them, but what that, what that did was got got me more stuff for sale or got me more deals. It got me out in front of people more. It gave you more credibility to, you know, yeah. people that were in the community that you did know whenever they are saying, you know, like, Hey, what kind of experience do you have? We have a property that we'd like you to maybe look at. Sure. It for sure helped to have that work that I was stimulating from those prospecting ventures. I guess there was a lot of cold calling in those days, yeah. like every single for sale by owner, every single expired, yeah. you know, I mean, I would literally just go through Zillow some days whenever I was out of numbers and just anybody that had a phone number on there, I was calling them and asking them, <laughs> you know, what, what we could do. Um, I also did once, you know, so I did a lot of, I felt like I had a pretty good transition from working on like residential land lots into residential homes, into like larger acreage, luxury, like maybe not quite farm and ranch, but larger acreage homes that had some more acreage. Yeah. And then that turned into farm and ranch. And then the farm and ranch got closer and closer to town. And then those conversations started becoming development conversations. And those development conversations led me to, uh, you know, meetings and stuff that I work in now that are, you know, 
commercial builders or yeah. developers or people that have warehouses or has have office spaces or have you know multi-tenant buildings and i can help them either lease or sell all or parts of those conversations come up with cash flow on what that thing is worth based on so returns was it and a, caps. was it a like intentional decision to go to commercial or it just kind of happened and then what kind of time um, frame for a new agent are you looking at there because that's a lot of progress and yeah it was for sure intentional so my idea and we talk about this a lot my idea was always um you know kind of the how many sticks of gum do you have to sell type of concept you know if, if i'm going to sell one stick of gum for you know a couple pennies that's one but if i can sell you a pack of gum for a couple bucks, that's another. If you can sell a truckload of gum, you know, if you yeah. can sell a boatload of gum, those those deals start compounding on themselves. So my goal was always to learn more about different stuff and reach more towards that kind of stuff and always be a little bit, I don't know that uncomfortable is the right word, but always be reaching for something that that was a little more. And part of that is having mentors around you that can help you through those things because you I mean, you're just throwing darts at the board if you don't. Yeah. No, you know, if you're doing it your that's first time. That's over a six-year period, roughly? Yeah. Seven, maybe? Yeah, around yeah. that. But it was an intentional goal. You know, I've always wanted, my whole process with real estate was I want to build communities and I want to, uh, you know, help help grow those types of concepts. So I, yeah. I knew whenever I was first starting that I needed to grasp what a contract even was. And that has helped me out much more than even real estate. You know, real estate contracts have helped me learn how to put deals together. It's not, it doesn't have to be real estate. I've seen people do the same basic structure with, you know, stock exchange or portfolios yeah. or whatever it might be, you know? So um, it was uh, something that I had thought about and, tried to pursue specifically, but two, you know, I got to a certain point, um, the closer and closer I got into town and you start to find where you fit in a little better and just how you, you prefer to operate and yeah. what you think is a little more stable, yeah. you know, especially over the last few years <clears throat> with different markets going up and down. Uh, it seemed like land markets and, uh, development markets and industrial markets did did really well when everybody else was like, yeah, maybe they were doing well, but it was just up one day down the next up one day down the next. We were joking. Like if you couldn't get them to paper, then it's not going to happen. If you could get them to write their name on the paper, then we'll get the deal done. Yeah. So, so I've got a follow up for you. <clears throat> yeah. Just as a general information wise, just to get a little backstory. What, how old were you when you first transitioned into commercial real estate? Um, well, so, I mean, I was doing fairly at commercial land deals probably around, you know, let's say 25 or so. So whenever 26. you're first getting in, a uh, little younger than Weston and I, and I am now, how did, how did you overcome being commercial? I feel like that's even a step up from what residential, what me and Weston are doing. How'd you build that credibility being as young as you were? Uh, you had already mentioned kind of those mentors a little yeah. bit, but- what else did you do to build your own credibility being as young as you Man, were at the time? The mentors for sure helped, but honestly, like winning, you know, yeah. doing the transaction, you, you, you got to dig deep sometimes and figure some stuff out. That's what I, I really like about the, the world that I work in is it's not, uh, it's not as formulated of a success story, you know, that if we do this, then this, then this, there's obviously some, mm -hmm. some key points, like we talk about on systems to close kind of yeah. stuff that you need to make sure that you're hitting. Um, 
But in in that world, sometimes you got to get creative and just figure out what's going to make this deal work. And sometimes they don't, you know. But that, that's what's kind of crazy. Yeah, sometimes they don't is work. when you talk about like systems to close. There's a lot of different words or phrases people can use to like conceptualize that. But what like when I worked at a dealership, you know, like in car sales and just about any other sales industry, they have this. You know, these are the eight steps you know, to close. And if you miss any of these steps, it's probably not going to close. That's something I feel like in real estate, there's not a whole lot of, you know, like there's not. The eight know. steps aren't as clear. Yeah, cut. well, it's like, there's always like, people will give you direction, but people don't really talk about the fact of like, if you, you know, at this one, at this step, if you do, if you skip it, or if you do something wrong there, it's going to have a domino effect moving forward. Well, I, I think about it a little different in residential. I, I talk about it like in percentage of closing. So, I know that once we get a house under contract, we've probably got a 70% chance we're gonna make it to closing, mm-hmm. right? And then once we get outside the option period and that's taken care of, we've gone you know, another 5%, maybe 10%. Yeah. And then once we get past appraisal, you should be closing at like 90% plus. So it, it is a chronological, you have to go through a process in order to get it closed in residential. It's pretty- I, And know. I think there's a process even to get it under contract, you know, like this, the sales steps in order sure. to take them from interested to signing, yeah. you know? Um, and then that's a whole nother- There is, it's, all, it's, it's anything else. I mean, it can still be in commercial. Everyone has a motivation. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, what Zach's saying is like, they'll, <clears throat> the objective is they say, I'm interested in this property, but I, I can't make it work because of this. Okay. We know you're motivated. Yeah. Okay. So if we can structure something that overcomes that objection, are we good to move forward? And then that's where you have to get creative. It's a little bit more of the Wild West there, where we have to kind Dude, of. I hear that all the time. Yeah. The <laughs> I, I use that term a lot because I work, way to yeah. I work a lot of off market stuff, mm-hmm. and there, there's not a formal process. Once I'm executed, like we're at 99%. It's a whole different kind of deal. Yep. You know, and that may be, you know, more in line with commercial because it's all objective. If the emotions, if the emotions taken out and then we just have objectivity, then I already said yes to the deal based on these terms. As long as they show up, then I'm closing. Yep. And, you know, there isn't probably as much fallout that way. Yep. You know, yep. I know for me and off market stuff, once I execute, I, I don't know if I've lost, I've probably done, I don't know, let's say 150 off market deals. I've probably lost like two. Yeah. Like it wow. virtually never happens. Well, and they, they may not know, you know, they throw objections at you to your point and they may just not know the process, you know, and it's easy to think because we work in it every day. Like, oh, everybody knows this, you know, yeah. but I tell just, you your value adding commercial. This would be I can come up with ways to really help build things. But the way I think about like commercial is all you do is say the next step is and then give them the map. And you don't probably even know. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, it's kind of like all chaotic but you know more than they do. And if you can stay ahead of them and give them the next step, then that makes them feel comfortable moving through the process. Exactly. That was a real shock to me uh, at a real young age before I was actually originating myself uh, as a loan loan assistant out in Lubbock, uh, going through classes part-time or going through classes and working part-time sitting in the bank in Lubbock. You'd have people, I mean, I was 19, 20 years old sitting in the bank, having people come in and asking me questions about what they needed to do to buy a house. And very quickly, I realized that people don't know what their credit score, the majority of people don't know what their credit score is, don't know what they need to do to get in the house. And that was a a realization that I had to go through when I was really young, that I actually knew more than a lot of people who were 40, 50, 60 years old and didn't know what was going on. Yeah, that's that's a weird thing, especially like I had I had trouble with that, too, like at the beginning when people that my concept of what a lot of money was and how to advise people on that, because 
like to me, when you first start and you don't have money and you're dealing with like high ticket homes or people putting twenty, thirty thousand dollars down, it's hard to for me, it was hard to gauge well, that. To go back to your, your question there, and this is probably something that's not even just a like how old you are, how long you've been doing it thing, but it's it goes back to what what kind of value you can add. You know, whenever I was talking about winning and stuff like that, because even projects that I work in today, to be the adverse of what you're talking about, that they could have been through all these experiences and you still know more than what they're talking about. I face it all the time where I'm working with groups that know a lot more than I do yeah. about and what so I'm doing. You know? There's the distinction between commercial and just somebody buying their first home, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why I feel like it's even more, a little more extreme than the situation that I was yeah. put in going into commercial because you have to know what you're doing because you're dealing with people that do know more than you. Yeah. Well, not all the time, but a lot well, of time. Well, and so what, what I was getting at there though is the value you can add though is the work, right? Like just, just like a contractor, if somebody's going to build a home, you know, they're going to, have somebody come in and take care of plumbing and have somebody come in and take care of AC and electric or have somebody come in and do drywalls or floors or whatever. We're there to help them run those things down too. And that's, especially whenever I was starting off, that was what I sold a lot was like, yeah, you're right. You can totally do this and you're probably smarter than me, but that's also going to take a lot of time off of your hands. If you let me be this, this aspect for you. Yeah. And I think that that helped sell that to a lot of those groups, um, that it just made sense. Let's hire this guy to put him in there. You know, Weston and I joked around and Sean even pointed it out last night, uh, at the event that we went to great event, by the way, Weston, it was yeah. a fun time. Lots of people, good turnout. Absolutely. Uh, Shout but, out Natalie for really throwing all that together. You know, yeah, but she, Sean had mentioned me, you, and then one of our other buddies from Decatur, Travis, we all came in with mustaches <laughs> and Sean was very quickly to point that out. Said, well, what's this Decatur mustache game here? And then Weston's response, which I had the exact same response. was like, I look like I'm 18 without a mustache, but I don't have facial hair, but it looks like I'm at least 21. With a mustache. <laughs> and so that's like building that credibility. And I'd yeah. say the majority of people will take a first look at you. I mean, residential commercial doesn't like, it's typically going to be the biggest purchase of an average person's life buying a home. And so half of those people are going to look at you and think you look like you're 21 and you just know, write But you if you've got a mustache, but there's some truth to that, right? We joke about it, but there's, there really is some truth to that. When I first, when I first started rocking the stash, it was coming in and it still has a lot of peach fuzz, you know, but it was just real like, white clear you know and I, I I didn't think anyone even noticed it like I was like that's yeah, you know then I remember I shaved it one time my clients showed up and they were like oh we didn't even recognize you without your mustache I was like really like <laughs> so, lean into it yeah um but yeah I even uh I even dyed it once Touch it. What was it? The touch of gray, not touch of gray, but the just Dude, for just for men. Just for men. Yeah. You should, you should do some touch of gray. <laughs> Talk about, about giving you more credibility. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. my hair gets to that point where it's, it's just long enough. It'll start pulling the grays out. Yeah, yep. I've been throwing a lot more gray in the back recently and on the sides, the wings. <laughs> What's your um, so Mason's uh, lender for Wells Fargo? So there's it's not directly. You don't do commercial, do you? Fortunately, no. There will be a lot of parallels with this question. Um, I don't know. I'm sure you work with a lot of people that do cash, but when it comes to lenders, what are some of the biggest problems you face with lenders? Um, I mean, probably a 
appraisals, right? Like maybe More so maybe, maybe what, what's yeah. Um, so qualifying, they already start generally. Pre, they're, they're really um, are they do they focus on the 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 entity or do they focus on the property? Like in residential, they focus primarily on the property to qualify, right? Yes. So I've heard some pretty crazy stuff here on on this too, like people trying to finance the next phase of their development and banks right now not taking... It's getting uh, risky. Yeah. Well, they're not even taking the equity in the property as collateral. Wow. You know, like they just say, nope, we want... That. Fresh, fresh equity. We want that, but we want X percent down in addition to that. And they go, okay, well, I have... 50, 60% equity in the property, let's use that and I can put down more and they go, mm, we don't want, we don't do that. And I've heard a number of things on that. Wow. Some banks are, depending on probably the size of them too, but some of them, I guess, have already hit quotas. I've heard that is, is an example. Well, or, so banks have uh, a limited resources available for lending, right? Mm-hmm. They have to lend a certain amount of uh, people that have low qualified where they give them opportunities and stuff like that. And then you have so many FHA loans, so many conventional loans in order to get that benefit of FDIC and uh, the, the Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac giving them back backing on it. Mm-hmm. So part of it is they may allow for, you know, 5% of total money from savings, what they lend out can go towards development. Mm-hmm. And that filled up real fast because they're not moving. Yep. So now they've maxed that out. And if they want to take on more, it's a risk against their other diversity that mm-hmm. they have. And then you're getting sure. higher fees and prices and rates because of that. Yeah, they're going to make it less attractive yep. because yep. Well, we'll make more money on it. That's fine. But it's hurting our diversity of our portfolio. Yep. Mm-hmm. And if we get over leveraged in one particular area, it compromises our Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac arrangement. Yeah. So I've seen, I, I feel like that concept is what I have seen is a hurdle most recently or that I've heard about most recently. I work on a lot of properties with a lot of hair on them, you know, a lot of floodplain, a lot of engineering needs, yeah. a lot of oddball stuff. Maybe we have to figure some stuff out to be able to make it accessible or whatever it is. I would yeah. think of it as that's how you add job security and value. Because if everything were clean, they wouldn't need you. Well, yeah. Right. Well, and that's become part of our conversations with these appraisal groups or with these lenders or whatever it is in our meetings, in our office and stuff. It's just, man, I guess, I guess there's not too many more of them out there without the hair. You know, we're well, going to have to end, get to work. Right? I mean, all the clean property is gone. Yeah. Now you got to deal with. Especially there compromise. around the rivers and all of that kind of stuff yeah. where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. There's only so much of it that was. That was. Buildable right away. Yeah. And now, so we're seeing a lot more of that process now, like formal reclaim of these flood hazardous areas, uh, a lot more uh, civil engineering is involved, which I guess is always there. But as far as like a, an actual process that brings up uh, some of these longer feasibility timelines, which, again, we're talking apples to oranges, maybe with residential to commercial. But that's why you might see, you know, expect to see nine, 12, 18, 24 month feasibility periods instead of like. 10 day option, that was something I was going to talk about is for other agents out there. Cause that's something like a lot of people coming into it, they're, you know, attracted to shiny objects and they're like commercial, I want to do commercial. And I don't think, um, they just look at the big paycheck, but they don't think about the time difference on what it takes to actually close one yeah. of those properties. So what, yeah, we, we learned like? that even a residential expects six months with no income, right? But commercial could be a year plus, Yeah, you know, and, and commercial is not giving you ready to go deals. Yeah, no way. So you have to go make the calls, <laughs> right? I mean, so you got to make the calls and bird dog and find opportunities and then you bring it back and then they'll normally take a substantial split. You know, I was going to mention on the training thing, 
you know, I know that I, I never had a formal training when I started in real estate. I just started selling houses. You know, I don't know how to explain it. I'm an entrepreneur about everything. So yeah. I just kind of figured it out, started listing houses. You know, but, I, but you mentioned contracts. I learned real estate through contracts. There's one thing I did get explicit, detailed training on was a one to four residential contract on how to negotiate that thing all over. Mm-hmm. That gave me a head start there. But everything else, I mean, as far as listing and negotiating and everything else, I kind of learned on the job, right? So I, I feel like there's no more or no better value than doing it hands-on. So when you're new and commercial, you bring you try to bring an opportunity in-house and then you'll probably do a substantial split on it in order to use that for our training purposes. Yep. We used to have a rule of thumb because we used to kind of blend residential and commercial before they had definitively set up commercial with EXP. But the blend would be if I had an opportunity, find someone in commercial and then offer to do all the work and split it 50-50 mm-hmm. or something like that. Then it's fair for everybody. Yeah, um, I agree. I think that's a good way to do that. I don't know that I had that. um, Again, so to your point there, you just there's a lot of that you have to go figure out, you know. And I think people come into the world of real estate thinking, "I'm going to go hit home runs." Yeah, you got to kind of you just have to kind of dive in, and then you got to find a niche. Yes, well, and that's exactly what I'm saying. You can't just do industrial and land and think that they're all going to have the same kind of problems. They don't. Yep. Well, and they're just vastly different. You yeah. know, I mean, you're, you're working with completely different people and you'd kind of touched on like the emotional aspects of residential real estate, um, making a lot more of those decisions than the objective, yeah. you know, numbers involved. And especially with development, especially with investment, especially with, um, you know, th- th- these types of construction processes too. I mean, it's all numbers. If the numbers don't work, it doesn't work. You I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what's really crazy. Check this out. So like in residential, it, it's emotional buy, but the lending process is very objective. Mm-hmm. It's generally not all that emotional. I'm just speaking from a lender that does both commercial and residential. Yeah. They're telling me, they said in commercial, the buy is all objective, but the lending side is very emotional. Yes, that you're totally right. Isn't that the strangest yeah. thing? Like kind of the way that they break through and think through, because I think they look at it like, you know, well, why can't you qualify? I mean, cause they get so emotional about mm-hmm. like their, their finances and now you want more down payment. It's, it's really interesting. Well, and they become more creative. And I think a lot of those two, from what I see, they, they probably have some sort of existing knowledge. This might go back to your point about how much people know and don't know in those worlds. But I think it goes back to the relationships pre-existing that they probably have with some some of those lenders. And those lenders are somewhat vested in, in those deals. You know, they want to be a part of some of these things, especially if, if there's, uh, you know, any sort of city involvement or community involvement to some extent. And again, we're talking kind of all over the place there, but like if there's a charity type of group or a nonprofit group, I guess is the term there that is trying to get money out of the city and then also needs to finance, the lender's going to need to know all of those moving parts, yeah, all you know, money sources. Yeah. Yeah. So they can see the diversity and the yeah. risk they yeah. evaluate the risk. Yeah. And, and like again, to, to just kind of speak further on that, uh, that, that is funny that you mentioned that like the buy is emotional, up front, but the lending is objective on residential stuff. And the other side of that, the buy is very objective on commercial, but the lending is more emotional. I think that's totally, totally true. Right. I mean, like I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about that, but thinking back on even stuff that I'm working on now or over the recent past, that's totally what it is. And you work a lot more, I feel like with those lenders, you know, 
jumping hurdles, you know, and figuring out why and what and where other things might come from. How else? What might we, we be able to do this? Yeah. You know, um, I think they, they have uh, existing relationships a lot of times. You know, it's not their first purchase of that that caliber. Try to pivot a little bit. Yep. Mace, what are you got any hot topics? I mean, you you talking current events here? Yeah. Oh, there's a few, there. man. Throw them out there. So I'll, I'll lead with this one. I've got a buddy in Poland right now, and a news article came out this week that a missile just went into Poland. Kind of kind of scary. I was a little worried for my friend. Saw the headline come out: Russian missile hits Poland. <laughs> I immediately didn't, didn't he invite sell. you to Poland with him too. Oh yeah, <laughs> I was, let's go to Poland. <laughs> hard sell. I, I stop what I'm doing. I text him immediately. I don't He's think like, you're going hey, to Poland during the winter anyway. <laughs> hey man, are you are you good? Just saw a um, Russian missile just hit Poland, and then he waits a couple hours. I'm free. I'm like a little worried about him. He texts back, "No, nah, it was a it, it wasn't a Russian missile." I was like, "What do you mean? It was a Ukrainian missile, apparently." The the headline hard stop sold me. I was worried. I didn't dig why into is, it. Why at the is time. Ukraine out here shooting missiles at Poland? Well, it was an anti missile missile. Wait, what? <laughs> so they're trying to shoot down existing Russian missiles that yeah. are coming in. They just miss. <laughs> I guess they missed. They it's not funny. It's not funny. funny. <laughs> they disassemble it, but I think it speaks to just what social media is doing today. Yeah. Uh, you look at the headline and. You know, I'd like to think I'm a pretty well-informed guy. Did anyone get hurt? I think, like, two Polish farmers died, oh, but I don't know. Too, too many, dude. Yeah, yeah too, too many. But in any case, that headline... I read the same headline. You, you know, read it? I, it came up on my phone. I looked at it. And like, it sold me. Russia shooting missiles at Poland. It's exactly what he was saying. And I'm like, okay. And then you come back, like, the next day, and it ended up being a Ukrainian missile. And it just, like, the, the Ukrainian president came out saying... You know, it now Eastern Europe is getting attacked by Russia, and, and 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 it's just it's crazy. Like they would spin it this way, so extreme, and it's all wrong. It's his own missile, and that's that's why podcasts like ours are so important. Being a professional journalist, like you have to just do your research. You how know? many people do you think are still <laughs> no, going with that? I mean, like, how many people do you think <laughs> didn't see the follow up of like, ah, well, maybe that wasn't true? And second question: How often do you think that happens on? All the topics, right? Well, no, that's Coming we, out. We talked from, about, that's what we talked about last, or one of the last podcasts on the Migos when Takeoff died. Um, one of the, I forget, I think it was like E News posted, um, you know, rest in peace, Takeoff, and they posted a picture of Quavo. <laughs> it's like, you gotta watch you know, out for like, that fake news. Like, dude. <laughs> like, that one, that's avoidable. Like, but anyway, so two The farmers. timing is right when U.S. is trying to generate another $30 billion to go support the Ukrainian. Yeah. You know, it's the timing. Yeah. It's just frustrating that. It's not accidental, right? Like, no, all crazy. of this is by design. All of the propaganda, all of the, the, the bait and switch, running, the smoke screens. You know, the yeah. guy running our defense and, and, and the spokesperson for the military and all this is just like, we're here to support. Ukraine till the end and he said it over and over till the end like what is like, it like you know <laughs> until like Ukraine moves into Russia and starts taking over Russia I mean at what point are we stopping this like we don't need to be that involved yeah you know mm. it, it's I don't know it's very frustrating I, I, I mean I, again I think it's much more designed I mean who am I I don't know anything but like I think it is a designed global collapse to restructure how the world works and how the world operates banks transfers property regulates i think that 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 is a uh it's a designed move <laughs> like yeah. 
Yeah, and with the media having more, the book I always think about is Principles of Dealing with a Changing World Order by Ray Dalio is one of the best books I've ever read. And it talks about, you know, the I've talked about this before, but the cycles of, and the rise and fall of nations and kind of human behavior that leads towards that and how countries, like when they stop investing in, you know, on the road to prosperity, like peace and prosperity yeah. is what he calls the phase of it, is, you know, you're investing in education, technology, things that are going to be beneficial towards growing you know, the, the nation. And then when we get in this period where everyone, I mean, relatively, like we live pretty comfortable compared to a lot of countries out there. We need so today. That, yeah, well, that's, <laughs> today. What that's what I'm saying is that's what he talks about a lot is when we get to that period, yeah. then people focus on problems. We never problems. Like it's almost like people make up problems that we never had to deal with before. And we're not focused on the things that actually got us to the place we're at now, you know, so that's, that's, what's kind of, scary because you can see it black and white and he talks about like you know um there's inter there's a lot of internal and external conflict at the same time and that's one of the things that contributes to the collapse yeah there's a there's a saying that i like to key on sometimes strong men create good times good times create weak men and weak men create hard times and Ooh. it just loops back on itself over Arse. and over and <laughs> <laughs> the next part of that is ashes to ashes in three generations uh, so I think both of those just relate on each other where you have good times and people grow up in those good times and they don't know the struggles that the prior generations have been through. Right? Yeah. And so not having those struggles, you take life with a grain of salt. You take life with the easy road. And to be fair, I don't even know that it's necessarily their fault that they're not thinking about those things. You know, it's it's media has a lot of influence on what we pay attention to nowadays. So, I mean, it's just is what it is. So how, how can you combat that either? Making, like, I, I think by more people, I mean, because if, if you think about what social media and technology has done, it's given the everyday person uh, the ability to have influence on other people versus just having to go to one or two outlets, you know, and because a lot of what a lot of news and, and I mean, a lot at the end of the day, it's going to be maybe biased or it's, it's going to have an opinion in some form, you know, or like a, a, a take, you know, like how maybe not sometimes on the actual situation, but so, more so how they process the forecasting of what just happened. Yeah. Um, so I think that to answer what you said more, I think by more people, more rational people that um, just putting content out, it doesn't have to be a well-produced video, but I mean, anyone can just go, if there's something important to you that you want to talk about, I mean, it's never been easier to get a message out there that could combat whatever you think that issue is. So I think on an individual level, just pushing yourself and making yourself uncomfortable, right? Yeah, that's just exactly not, what I was what I was easy. poking him for was like, what what's the answer to that? And I personally well, think making yourself uncomfortable helps you perform better in uncomfortable situations. And if you have a life of luxury and ease, putting yourself in positions that make you work harder and make you do things like that, I think could be. Not everybody's going to yeah, do okay. that, right? So it goes yeah, back to so like I work probably, ethic. I answered that from a way of how to maybe influence more so than actually the actions. Yeah, for well, so, but that, that's exactly but yes, what that's, I was thinking was, was putting yeah. yourself, taking it on yourself to put yourself in uncomfortable positions. Or like we talked about uh, whenever Sean was talking about starting off and like doing this in real estate, just to bring that back to real yeah. estate. I mean... Well, and I doing think, it, I you know, think, like feeling out the gray. One of the biggest things too, like for as an individual is if, I mean, there's just a lot of things I think people take for granted. And I know it's a cliche thing to say, but just to be grateful for things and understand like 
how lucky you are to have certain things and certain luxuries, you know, like, and just that to me, that gives me a lot more work ethic. It's like, I don't want to lose certain, you know, like I just want to keep. Well, maybe not minimizing people around you. I feel like that's probably something that I struggle with is like, oh, shit, they don't know anything. Yeah. You know, like, who are they? Because you go through, and we talk about this with people that always have something to say about what you're doing and trying so hard to block that out so you can stay on what what you're doing. But you also have to be able to recognize how and when to to take – you know, help, (laughs) productive help. And and sometimes it's hard for me anyway to, to do that. We'll go a bit biblical. We talked about a lot of Bible on the last podcast sort of, but I like when you on that, um, and you could probably correct me, but this is my interpretation. Like my favorite book in the Bible is book of Job. And it's just talking about how, again, correct me if I'm wrong, you probably know a lot more about this. This is how I interpreted it. This guy, like, talking about Job. So, <laughs> but, anyways, it's just like, you know. Well, it's job, right? So, we have a job, we're gonna work. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, well, so, it's, it's, like, it's like, you know, how I took it is just that there's, no matter how we look at someone else like we could look at someone else and it kind of like what you said what do they know or they could even be coming off as kind of the scum of the earth you know but it's not in our it's like if whether that other person is living living by god or not living by god god's still going to use them and you can still learn something from them and i think that the diff like for me the difference would be is if you live by god you'll probably live a, a better life like you'll enjoy the experience more but if you don't it's probably not going to be as enjoyable for you but he's still going to use you in a way so it's like no matter how we view somebody he's you know you could well that's I, not necessarily just uses people the easier know? road right I yeah mean, i think about that all the time like if you're if you're going that route um and living that life that's not saying that you're going to have the the easier road. Yeah, your, future, oh, absolutely not. your future yeah. is not conditional based on you having a relationship with God or not. It's you're better equipped. Yeah. You got more tools. That's, that's kind of where the difference is, is that you're better equipped to deal with, you know, adversity and stuff because we should have it. Yeah. yeah. And they predict it. I mean, it's all predicted. Expect mm-hmm. to have it. And having the right tools and things can make all the difference. Yeah. You know, where we don't see it as, all right, well, it's over. I can't overcome this. Now I can overcome it because, you know, I know I have a support system and help. Yeah. You know, that's, that's kind of one of those fundamental differences between people that have a faith and that people that don't, I mean, it's, it can be catastrophic for others without any recourse or place to go to for, uh, how to deal with things. Right. I mean, it can be pretty catastrophic for them. Um, but we have somewhere we can go to. Yeah. It's a big difference. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot more comforting. Right? Well, and to me, it's the send me concept, you know, of like, I, I think that you're naturally going to have maybe a little bit rockier road because you're, you get you're better quick for yeah. it. Well, and not even, I'm not even just talking about people attacking you for, um, for being an advocate of, of God and, you know, whatever you might advocate around that whole thing. But I think naturally, whenever you make that decision to live life that way, that, the universe is going to, you know, it's a positive and a negative reaction, right? Like yeah. if you're, if you're pushing to live that way, then the universe is going to throw more stuff at you. But yeah. it again goes that. back to the concept of send me and uh, you know, you're not, you're not going to have anything thrown at you that you can't handle, you know? Yeah. And that's why you're living that life. Yeah. So 
Yeah, but and just to re- that's why I like Job is it's just like no matter what, and if you just have that there for me, like it just helps me a lot. It's like if you just drop all the judgment, it's like there is something. Um, even in my personal life, I won't throw specific people out there, but like there's there's people who I love, and it's like man, it I hate seeing certain things they go through and decisions they make. And, but at the same time, like if I didn't see them go through certain scenarios, like I could very well be going down a very wrong path as well. So yeah. while it may not be enjoyable to watch someone go that path, I've still learned a lot from, and that's to me, that's just how God uses people. Yep. It's like one way or another, like I could be influenced by somebody that's just being a good person and living by God. Then like, I want to just do that more. But if they're not, you know, and you see the other side, it's like, well, it makes me want to live like that more because it's like, I don't want that result, you know? So we well, gotta be attuned to it. Yeah. Right. I mean, you yeah. can be surrounded yourself with people and we're all making the same bad choices or they make bad choices, but I don't see it mm-hmm. because I'm not attuned to that being, you know, destructive to myself. I, yeah. I, I may not see that, you know, that's part of why reading scripture and things allows us to develop a conviction on what's, what's okay and what's not okay for us. Yeah. There's a reason for it. So when I think we still have a part to play there, right? Like it's really easy. I catch myself doing this all the time. Like, please, 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 God make this happen. You know, and just one time. And then the first voice that I hear is like, get to work. You make it happen. You know, like, yeah, figure it out. That's what we're here to do. I'm stopping you. Well, it's an active relationship. Yeah, it totally is. It's an active relationship. Yep. And I I catch myself constantly having that, uh, just that mental game with myself of back and forth, like, well, if I do this, this probably isn't going to work out, you know? And then sometimes I hear the real voice come in, like, you're just, you're just talking to yourself right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're just talking in circles. Yeah. That's not me talking to you. you yeah. Know? So I don't know. I just, I didn't want to minimize the fact that that <clears throat> though it, it is a tool and plays into the relationship that you have there. We still have to work. It's not just, yeah. I sign up for the team and yeah. everything's handed to me. I think, I honestly think that whenever you, you make that decision that you will likely live a harder life, you yeah. know, to some degree because you're, you're putting yourself there yeah. in the uncomfortable positions, you know? Yeah. What's funny to me, like just on this topic, you know, I think there's like, there's this misconception about people with a lot of money that maybe they're like, Oh, well they, you know, money is the root of all evil. They don't, they must not live by God. And like, most of the successful people I've met, like, and continue to meet, have some sort of a relationship with God. Is what's crazy to me. Like, I, I feel like I'd always look at it like there's, you know, maybe they just don't, they just drop the God thing. But it's just weird. It's just a weird thing to me that was a, what's the word? Like, my perception changed. The more kind of successful people I find myself around, you just see that more. The, the challenge with having a lot of money is it takes you off course a lot of times, right? It has less... You know, it, that's why it says it's and you're easier. faced with more temptation too, right? Like, well, it, it's if okay. Think about like our nation. We're a nation of individuals. We're all about ourselves, right? We're individualistic, and other nations have to be a lot more collective because they don't have the freedom and the ability to make money the way we do here. Mm-hmm. So it's a different, like even in our own culture and things. But what I'm what I'm saying is like the 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 passage is easier to get through for a camel to get through the eye of the needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. Mm -hmm. And the the reason is because when you have everything, your need for your pain tolerance is going to be pretty high because you have a way to overcome a lot of things and without even going to God. So that's, that's the challenge that you have when you have, uh, when you, when you have a lot, 
Yeah. You know, that's really kind of the, the convicting pro- problem. But it doesn't mean that they're not believers or they don't have a relationship. And it's nice that you see people that are well off. You know, they may have already had the relationship and then they became successful because, you know, they stayed consistent. They were, you know, took care of other people, whatever it is that built their success, you know, to still be, you know, realizing their place in the world. Yeah. And they're not running everything. They're not the end you know, result. It's it's we're, we're in a God driven universe. Yeah. That's why I don't think about a lot of the conspiracy <clears throat> theories about, you know, where we're going and what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, things are over when God says it's over. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about doomsday. Um, I think it's fun to think about, but I don't take it serious. Like, you know. And I think everyone, like, it's talking about, like, politics or these things happening. We have so much politics in all of our news stories that makes it impossible to under to know what's really true, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the consequence we have in our system today. And it's good that we can get on a forum like this. Like, we have no political bent on this. We're just, you know, speaking what we think and see and what we experience. And there's not any real... You know, purpose for us. I don't have a news outlet that I can come up with some crazy story and yeah, make a bunch yeah. of money on. I mean, it's not put the put the wrong title up there yeah. for on purpose <laughs> to yeah. push clicks. Yeah, there's no there's no benefit for us. We don't. I mean, we just don't have. That's not where we're at. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's just some thoughts. Well, and yeah, and the, going to like the doomsday thing. I don't know that I spend much time thinking on. Uh, you know, like doomsday itself, but I do spend a lot of time thinking about just to kind of tie this back into everything else. Uh, you know recognizing what's going on around us and how we and others around us affect the world and how we can kind of determine some of our future, you know, cause it is still an ambiguous future. Yeah. You know, we are still free will creatures. Yeah. This would be the, and to pivot a little bit, speaking about future, cause I was going to ask you this, um, what are your future goals? Cause one thing that you've done, recently that's been, I think, a goal of yours for a while was finally getting um, your wife to come on board with you, um, start, you know, you're both solely focused on real estate. um, And I've seen you, you know, bring a lot of things to fruition. So what are your, what do you see in the next like five, 10 years? What are you trying to do? Oh, five, 10 years. Yeah. I was thinking like (laughs) next year. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking like 50 years now. I just just want to be a, uh, a wild, um, human, you know, like, <laughs> like running around in the wilderness yeah. is the end goal there. But man, I, I want to like, just to go back to that, you know, I want to build communities and stuff. I think over the next few years, I, I thought it was a really big step to have my wife quit her regular day job because yeah. it, it wasn't like a, a little job, you know, it was a real job with good benefits and stability and stuff. So great free hoodies. That was, that was our, <laughs> what we were going to do was like, all right, well, let's go buy, you know, an income producing property, which might've been the better idea there, or let's get you out of jail, yeah. out, of, out of the prison of a job and come like experience this. And she's still kind of feeling out what that even means. You know, we live a much different life than people that go to an office every day from nine to five, Yeah, like in that environment, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I would, I would like to, to, to get more property and start building and affecting the communities, you know, yeah. is, is kind of my next five, five year type of goal. I want you to do more hunting videos. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> I want to do more hunting videos too. It's, it's hard. <laughs> we were talking about, it's hard to like, Cause I mean, dude, you're, you're from here to that door from a wild animal, you know? And yeah. 
the whole goal is like, don't let them see you, <laughs> you yeah. know? So whenever you're trying to video stuff, I mean, they see the little blue or red light come on too. You know? yes. <laughs> They're like, what? Ding. Low battery. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and you catch them like that too, where, you know, they, they bust you and, uh, yeah. And they just, they catch you. Yeah. You know? And they're thinking like, what is that? But you've, you got to realize, I mean, you're pretty much like going into their house and like hiding behind their couch kind of thing, <laughs> you know, and expecting like, oh, they'll never find me. Yeah. And you mostly yeah. bow hunt? Uh, yeah. I mean, I do a lot of everything, but yeah, I mean, bow hunting has been my biggest uh, goal. Yeah. You know, and I try to do a lot of it, but. It makes the best jalapeno cheddar sausage. Yeah, man. But I've, so I like doing all of it, all the processing and stuff. We give all of the extra scraps to the chickens. We dehydrate the bones and give them to the dogs, you know, so we try to use as much of that as we can. And we have so more and more each year. I feel like we try to learn more about So you're them. quartering it yourself. You're not taking it anywhere. To yeah, process. no, for sure. Well, so I used to work too at a processing place. Like okay. whenever so you've already got a base familiar. Yeah. Whenever I first started real estate, I had a lot of different little side jobs and stuff. And one of them, whenever I had downtime or at night or whatever, I'd go into these processors and knock down, you know, a hundred animals or something like mm -hmm. that. And so, yeah, I got pretty proficient at finding like exact <laughs> the benefits of each of them. Yeah. yeah exactly. Nice. How to, to break stuff down. And I've, I've been doing, I mean, I've been hunting longer than I've probably been doing anything, you know, um, I'm quite certain I took my first steps ever, like on a ranch in a deer cabin, <laughs> you know, but, um, so I was pretty well familiar already with how to kind of do all of that. But to answer your question, where would my goal be? What, what I was going to say there is self-sustainability. You know, I think that's a huge deal talking around with Abby, leaving her job and, and coming in, uh, working with me, uh, to, how we live our life with the gardens and what we put in there. We try to make everything like we talk about inside the high fence. This deer can't get to is stuff that we can eat or grow or propagate yeah. or something. Something you and Mason got uh, in common, both getting some cattle now. Yeah, Getting dude, cattle. Got, um, cattle ranching, dude, you know, just cowboy. <laughs> Shout out El Sancho. Yeah. LLC, or <laughs> El, uh, yeah. Chico stick. That's my bull. <laughs> Have you had any uh, bad injuries to yourself or, your cattle what's the you have any big stories there you got um, yeah I got one good story so yeah we went out there I, I was you know normally i try to go check on them every few days or so um and it had been a few days since i had checked them out this was probably five or six months ago and i went out there but now yeah it was like in the heat of summer yeah and uh carter went out there with me and we were just going to go check on them make sure their water was good throw some cubes at them and call it a day and the hay ring, they're longhorns, and the hay ring was made for like horned cattle, but he had gotten his head stuck in the hay ring yeah. and had drug it around and kind of wrapped it up around a tree and stuff. And so we have a bull, like a good sized bull that's just standing out there attached to this tree with his head stuck <laughs> in this hay ring. And luckily, I know this probably sounds bad, but luckily he'd been there for a while. Cause if he was full of juice, I don't know that I could have mm -hmm. figured that out. Get the thing off of yeah. Him. And <laughs> he was tired enough and he was, he, he'll, he'll kind of step up to me sometimes, but he saw, I was trying to help him, you know, and trying to get him out of there. And, uh, <laughs> and he kind of let me work with him. But yeah, I mean, if he would have been 
fresh, you know, then he would have been throwing me all over the place. But that was my biggest one. He'd probably been out there for a couple days, no water, no food, just cooking in the sun. And that's when it was like hundred degrees out there. And he was looking tired, man. And I, I got him out of there, led him over to his water tank and he took a nap and I went and checked on him later. And he, he's, he's all good now, but that worried me a little bit. Yeah. Worst and most probably traumatizing story I had was one of the first times I took my wife out to actually work cattle with us. And we had maybe a hundred head up in the pen with us and we were working them through the chute, getting ready to sell the calves off to the sale barn. And so we were sending them through. I mean, we had maybe 10 cows in one pen that we were working through and they were getting anxious one of the cows we've got maybe our fences maybe six seven feet tall kind of thing enough where i can climb over it and get out of the way um one of the gates most times yeah, yeah <laughs> most of the times and one of those tops of the gates i mean it's my eye level right somehow one of these cows got her hoof stuck up in the top part of this gate Bro- absolutely leg is broken right mm-hmm. this angry pissed off cow thrashing around leg broke in the top of this gate we couldn't do anything i mean we were stuck there uh, for just trying to figure out what we we're going to do we couldn't lift it out she's kicking screaming i mean i've never heard it sounds like i don't know if you've ever heard an animal that's actually dying but yeah. just a screaming bloody murk yeah cow and uh, it was pretty traumatizing for my wife to see that for the first time and that happened while you were there working. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I mean, there's other cattle in the pen, so you got to clear it out. And we eventually got it resolved by pulling up a tractor, putting some chains around the bucket and lifting that cow out of there. But this, I mean, leg was broken. You had to put the cow down. It wasn't going to survive. And you were, so you were there when that happened or you were gone and you just showed up? Okay. Yeah. That's what I was wondering. Live. Uh, Luckily I wasn't there by myself. If I was there. Oh, yeah. You did? Yourself? That cow did not survive. Yeah. And luckily I wasn't there by myself because I don't know if I would have known what to do. I don't know if I would have been able to resolve that by myself. Yeah. But luckily my family was out there with us and... Had a quick meeting. Yeah. This is what we're going to do. Got the tractor out, chained, chained it up, lifted it out, but... Pretty traumatizing. You I've know? seen so some it's not, stuff. It's, it's hard work, and it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. Well, and I don't, I don't have 100 cows, but... Um, so we had something like that happen. I lease some ranch land way down in South Texas on the border, like right on the border kind of thing. And we've got a lot of cows out there and there's, we have pins around a lot of our like feed setups and stuff to keep the cows and the pigs out so that the deer can come in and have that resource without there being so much competition. Cause stuff out there, pigs, cows, stuff like that will wipe, wipe out whatever you put out for them. Um, and I, last time I was out there, um, we had seen a calf had gotten hung up in one of those pins. They just had mm-hmm. pins that were a couple feet tall, you know, instead of a good four foot or so. And uh, a calf had gotten in there. It was open. So it's, it's kind of hard to like think much about it. So, I mean, basically you have like a pin, you know, like a circular pin that they are supposed to stay out of, but one of those were open, but the cow still tried to jump over that, that pin and got her legs stuck exactly like you're talking about in between those squares. And it was, it was already dead whenever I got there, but I was thinking like, man, that probably sucks really bad. Like that's a, that's a tough way to go Yeah, out on the, border of South Texas and Mexico, well, you know, running out of time, but Zach, how yep. can uh, people find you if they want to do some commercial real estate transactions sure. or if they want to book you to play some music? Sure. Um, you know, honestly, 
just here I am, you know, <laughs> but, uh, I've got a website, barfieldco.com. You can find me on YouTube. You can find some stuff on SoundCloud. Um, we're, we're working to put stuff up on Spotify. Like we had kind of talked about as far as music stuff, legacy commercial re.com is our real estate website where you can find all of our properties that we work in and all the different types of business that we do. Um, so yeah, online for the most part, you could probably just Google, my name and, yeah, phone and number. find a way. Yeah. 830-310-4262. Mason. My name is Mason Kleinsmith with Wells Fargo Home Mortgage. And I work out of three branches in North Texas being Decatur, Springtown and Rome. If you need to contact me for your home mortgage needs, my number is 940-210-9256. Sean Corbett, True West Realty Group, brokered by EXP Realty. Um, my, uh, I help buyers and sellers, but primarily I spend a lot of time coaching and developing agents uh, grow their business. Um, call me, 214-228-0383, anytime. Weston Kirk, thanks for coming and watching the podcast. You can find the clips on Instagram at Happy Hour with Weston, just spelled out. Um, I'm also a realtor up here in the DFW area, so if you're interested in buying or selling properties up here, just let me know. Happy to help however I can. 469-428-7086. And there will also be links to all this stuff in the description of this podcast. So make sure to like, share, subscribe, and thanks again for watching. And we'll see you next week with another podcast.